You're listening to More Than This, the podcast where Christian faith and reason explore reasons for Christian faith. Life's not a sequence program from the sky. Life's a story woven up, down, in and out, like stitches in If you enjoy our show, please consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month on Patreon. Check out our site at www.patreon.com forward slash more than this pod. Thank you. This episode features a fun conversation with Pastor Jeff Cannell on how to serve and minister through social media. We're calling it The Holy Post. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. We are back with an episode of More Than This, and this is David and me, Brooke, and we are back in David's basement over his big table. We were all wearing masks, uh, following the rules really well here, and we are here with our good friend, Jeff Cannell. We all said the the corona incantations as well. (laughs) Yeah. We laid them them down. That's true, we did, because we're a good distance apart. I think there's a certain Patreon level that you unlock access to the corona. uh, Yeah, you do. Uh, Oh, Lord have mercy. Okay, (laughs) hang on. Here we go, guys. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Brooke is going to have to wrangle Jeff and me. I'm going to have to wrangle these boys tonight, so we'll see how I do. Do you get to edit this? No. Oh, no, we don't don't edit anything, unless there's like extreme profanity or, or some sort of like uh well i haven't run out of my tourette's medication so we should be good <laughs> well, well that lovely voice right there was jeff cannell and jeff cannell pastors central vineyard with his wife uh adrian and it's a neighborhood-based church in our city in columbus ohio and we really wanted to have a conversation with jeff cannell well for many reasons jeff is knowledgeable on all sorts of topics this chat could be about practically anything. Um, But I was particularly interested to have this conversation because, let's see, pre-lockdown, Jeff and I were having a cup of coffee at Cup of Joe, and Jeff was talking about his use of Facebook. And he, I actually wrote down what he said. He said, I'm very purposeful with Facebook. It's one of the platforms where I disciple and I pastor. And that really ding, ding, dinged for me. And I was really curious about that. And I want to jump off there, Jeff. And I thought maybe you could tell me more about why you do that. How do you use Facebook? How do you engage in that uh, realm in a pastoral way? I think uh, there's a general belief about humans in general that informs interaction and specifically Instead of lamenting the fact that so much human interac- interaction ha- happens online, just realizing that's a complex venue that needs to be tamed. You just can't uh, participate in it. But just to be kind of snobby uh, and uh, say you're not going to p- participate or something, also you miss an opportunity like to just stay informed with your community. Like if a, a friend of yours has a loved one who dies and you, you're not online, you may not know it until mm. – some time has passed and uh, there's a diff- kind of a social expectation depending on whatever platform your community utilizes to connect. There's an expectation that people are somewhat in the loop. So I think to not be involved in it um, from the way we kind of have a church would be to not pastor. Hmm. And part of that, because we're, we're a small church, we're a small church. We are in a city with like, 
uh, the greatest church, like greatest big church in the country, in my opinion, mm-hmm. the church you guys attend. I mean, I would say like that is the best big church in the world, in mm-hmm. my opinion. But we felt called to do, you know, you have uh, your big store and then you have your little independent uh, convenience shop. And I kind of feel like that's what we are. And so that kind of fits that level of connection, kind of being aware of what's going on with one another really fits the culture of our church. Hmm. Hmm. And in um, respect to how you engage in that platform, are there like guidelines or sort of overarching principles in your head as you engage with people on Facebook? Well, there's, yeah, there's, there's a, a couple points in general, and I hear you guys talk about this on the podcast a lot, but the fact that people are image bearers of God. Mm. And uh, I grew up in a context where we really focused on the sinfulness of people, and uh, it was almost like the, the more you acknowledged how bad you were, the better person you were. And I've my life, I mean, over the last 20 years, my thoughts on that have radically changed. And you'll appreciate this because this is the example I use to explain it. It's a very Dutch example. <laughs> and that is the paintings of Vincent van Gogh. I mean, I by far my favorite artist. And you'll know this when we've been to one the museum with you. Mm-hmm. I've been there twice. Is When we look at his paintings, we do not see what he saw when he painted or what he painted because the dyes have all radically shifted color because the chemical composition. So they forensically figured out what the paintings first looked like. So every work of art we see of Van Gogh's is severely damaged. Mm. But I've yet to have a conversation about his art where people lead with his artwork being seriously damaged. We just are in awe of the beauty of that creation. And so starting out with humans, I believe we're fractured beauty. We're not uh, totally the, t- the doctrine of total depravity. Um, I could, I'm not going to go off on that tangent, but I, I do think it produces or is more likely to produce a certain way of viewing and treating people. That to me is, you know, I'm on the half point, halfway point in my life. I don't have time to live in that world anymore. So humans are image bearers, and so how do I li- how do I interact online? We're holding the fact that I'm interacting with these holy reflections of God. No matter how far gone someone is, it's really hard. Like, it's really, Jesus is like this weed that you can't ever fully kill. You know, goes to the cra- in the cracks of people's lives. And I'll leave point, like, what about Hitler and this stuff? You know, there are sociopaths and whatnot, but in general, you know, people can make decisions t- or to destroy their frontal lobes and empathy and stuff. But by and large, I think if we're called to be kind of like, forensic specialists or whatever that try to find out where Jesus is cropping up in someone's life. Mm-hmm. And generally, if you spend time online by viewing people, what they love and what they hate, you can find some touch point with Jesus. So I guess the first thing is recognizing there's probably something of Jesus going on in everyone's life and looking for that. It's, it's really interesting, Beautiful. Jeff. I love that image um, of the Van Gogh paintings, but I, I think it's also an interesting uh, image to conjure up for social media because so many people are probably trying to portray themselves in the best colors, right? They're not showing the faded crack side or maybe they are and they don't know it. So pastorally, how do you kind of get around that when you, you know that the mess behind may be more beautiful than 
the facade that they put up? And is it just kind of a matter of letting them know like, hey, it's okay. You're actually more beautiful than you're presenting right now. You're more beautiful than you know. You're more beautiful than your glittering images, which is a, a book that you you uh, loaned me a long time. I still have your copy. I need to give it back to you. Have you read it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was awesome. And I don't like novels. It was great. Uh, Susan Hoach, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it stuck with me. I still have things underlined in it. But how do you sort of work around that in the medium when, I mean, not everybody is that way, but it lends itself towards not showing the faded colors? Well, I guess uh, I kind of, real life is matte finish, falsehood is gloss. Mm-hmm. So I guess when you see a highly curated image, and you guys know what I'm talking about, to me, that is automatically provoking of sadness. So the, the, the perfect image to me, my default interpretation of that is there's something dark underneath. And, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, I even think I, what's I love about uh, Southern Gothic fiction like Flannery O'Connor or Twin Peaks by David Lynch is you have this perfect area, God bless you all, apple pie, and that, but underneath it, there's all this brokenness, you know, the story of Laura Palmer or anyone in one of Flannery O'Connor's short stories. Mm-hmm. And so when I see that perfect deal, if I don't see uh, the strain and the crack in someone, or don't hear the crack in someone's voice, or see kind of the dried up tear boogers in their eyes, I presume that not only are they suffering, but they're terrified of people finding out. Yeah. So I guess I, so to me, it's like people are confessing on Facebook and Instagram more than they realize. Hmm. That's interesting. And also when you are engaging in a pastoral way on Facebook, just so our listeners understand, you're not just uh, posting uh, lovely scripture verses and little pictures of flowers and lambs and things. You are engaging real current issues, police brutality, um, issues of poverty, the list goes on and on and on. So you are going straight ahead towards topics where people disagree deeply and mm. vehemently disagree often. Uh, how do you engage that when there's often a lot of frustration, anger, and passion related to these issues? Well, I'll try to rapid fire this a little bit. Okay. First of all, I, I do this routinely on Sundays when we were gathering. I said, raise your hand if you've ever been persuaded by an internet argument. Yet to have anyone ever say that. Um, have I ever been persuaded by an internet argument? No, I've sometimes been persuaded by taking people's suggestions and interacting with an idea. Like, um, And I've tried to reflect that as well. So um, Facebook is not my Mars Hill to discuss things okay. per se or debate with that. And uh, I, I tell people I gave up debate for Lent and never picked it back up. Hmm. Because my, my paradigm of Christianity was if I can rhetorically kick someone's ass, they might come to know Jesus. And I found, no, they just kind of think you're an yeah. whatever. Uh, point, insert your expletive of choice. <laughs> if you win an argument, you just confirm <laughs> what they already thought ill of you. Yeah, That's right. So that's first off. Mm-hmm. Secondly, uh, I I don't really separate my life you know whether i'm uh reading uh uh this amazing book by uh you know nt wright or brian zahn or a book of poetry or i just got an amazing puppy video to me i it's all part of people in creation is beautiful and even if it's something that makes me laugh if it's a funny comic book meme or it's something my, my son sent me or it's this deep theological rumination i don't really do well with categories it all 
comes out of this human experience where humans, different from other species, have certain uh, like species-specific longings, mm-hmm. and it comes out there. So I the thing that's hard is, um, you know, most of my friends on Facebook aren't actually people that would say they're followers of Jesus. And at least the people that are interacting in my feed, I'd say 60% of them aren't people of faith. And when I do engage controversial issues, especially if they're ones that people who identify as Christian disagree with or argue about, I recognize, like, I won't engage a controversial issue unless I'm willing to babysit that post. Because there can be harmful things posted by people that uh, could injure people that are very precious to me. And so I I will not post something, like, before I go on vacation or before I go to bed— unless I'm willing to get an update, because there's this wonderful thing about Facebook is you can hide comments without deleting them, and people don't know if their comment has been hidden or not. So if you delete their comment, they get this little, oh, I've engaged a conflict, and this person has been prompted to react, and there's some little reward thing that goes on in their brain. But if you hide their comment, and there's a sea of comments of people interacting, and there's they don't get any takers on their comment, it they don't get that, you know, their amygdala didn't get any responses out. So I I curate my I'm not a fan of free speech. This is my living room. And Facebook is my living room and I in the same way if you were being belligerent to someone I love in my living room I'd do something. I'm not going to let you do it on my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So curating difficult conversations is really important and I I just try to be one person. A wise philosopher, Steve Taylor, once said, double lives take half as long. So I I really learned this, especially interacting with my Muslim friends. And really, part of really observing your life and your family's life, Brooke, really said, like, I talk about Jesus the same way at the bar or the coffee shop as I do on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And one thing I have to really curate or gatekeep on Facebook is when people don't engage that ethos. Either I try to translate for them or I just hide their comment and take it private. Hmm. I really like that. Because I, I mean, I'm the opposite of you at the moment, Jeff. I will post something and if someone has a different, I'll just not engage it at all because it's just, I don't want to show it, you know, give it power. Um, I mean, I'm posting things regarding, you know, Muslims or uh, belief in one God or these sorts of things. But I really like what you're saying regarding it's your living room space and to feel free to 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 speak to those issues i, I thought that was cool I, I saw one of your posts jeff and i are i think we're probably all friends on facebook are we not mm-hmm. and i saw one of your posts the other day and it was like here's what i don't need coming from this and it wasn't snarky mm-hmm. it was just kind of like there's no you kind of take the gotcha out of it and you're like no we already know this so just because it is, it is your living room, and it's not. It's weird. It actually, it probably is Jeff's living room because he would like we on the other the last episode where Kate and I talked about social media. Social media is kind of like a dream, mm-hmm. like because you're like, oh, of course, my kindergarten teacher and my crossing guard and my boyfriend from fifth grade uh, like are all in conversation together. Mm-hmm. That usually only happens in the surreal or Facebook. So my second grade teacher who changed my life, literally made one of the biggest difference in my life, follows our services on Facebook. Really? And that's like, I, it's really crazy. It, it, it is. It's, it is really cool. Uh, but a lot of people's living rooms don't look like this. 
like they wouldn't have all these people into their space. So it's a really interesting opportunity. But when you don't have that sort of consensus of like, we basically think the same way that a lot of people have when they have people into their home or into their life period. And especially having such a broad range, I think it's really interesting that you're even laying out uh, netiquette as we call it uh, in all the, the syllabi that we have to post now we have to give you know because everything's online for classes you know we always oh. talk about netiquette so etiquette for the internet okay. but uh, yeah I think you, I think it was just interesting to see you've done it a couple times Jeff and uh, I'm not afraid to jump on either I mostly don't con- publish anything controversial but I'm like you know this is not how we talk here that like, post you mentioned I probably hid 25 comments on them. Really? Um, There are some people that posted stuff or tried to argue stuff. And my thing is, you know what? What you're trying to say is really a poorly – poor representation of something someone has already written a book about what you're representing there. So if you really care or want to move the ball forward, why don't you actually read the books at each other's and get out of the echo chamber? I'm not going to be there for your addiction Mm because the internet is not catharsis. So it's not catharsis, but you also acknowledge that nobody that you know of, including yourself, has ever been swayed by an internet argument or post. Yeah. So what is uh, sort of your driving impetus for posting these things? Like what, what, what is your heart in doing it and where do you see the sort of heart of God? And, and as a pastor, what kind of what's your view on, of posting these things? Well, I struggle with this and I fall short of this a lot. So it's hard to talk about because I've, I don't know how many posts I've had to apologize for or I pulled or I almost finished writing and I said, yeah, I think this is really clever what I just wrote and I think it demolished this person and I think it's not going to have any positive impact. And I usually, I like what I wrote, so I'll cut it and put it in a uh, simple note and then delete it and never look at it again. <laughs> but uh, I like to think of like Jesus never issued a position statement on really any issue. He, he would never ha, he would never do what the pundits do of give his take. Like, Jesus never published a position paper. He asked questions, and he was provocative curiosity, and he always found a third way into a discussion that made room for people to move out of their echo chambers. So I think, uh, like, I, the other person who's inspired me the most, actually, on the internet, and this has to do with the going back to the image of God, is uh, uh, Dr. Cornell West is one of my hero of heroes, and I was watching him on a talk show um, uh, years, several years ago, and this was uh, early on in Obama's presidency. And some of you know that he was the critique from within of the increase in drone war- warfare in the Middle East under Obama's watch. And, you know, he's someone that loves, respects Obama stuff, but engage in healthy conflict with him over this issue about the sanctity of life and the depersonalization of humans through drone warfare. And uh, when he was speaking about him right after Obama's uh, – or he was talking about Obama in some context, and he was referring to him as, you know, this precious brother in Christ, this precious creation of God. And I realized – Cornell West is one of the few like liberals that would go on Fox News, and he is always careful to affirm person a person's intrinsic value in a way I've yet to hear someone else do it. And he engages with people like 
authors and people I really care about, even the far like uh, so-called godless or uh, post-Christian or you know kind of angry atheist crowd, and he he interacts with people in the way that I think Christ would. So when I, I, I look at this, I'm not there, but my values, I want to be like Cornell. I want to, I have to remind myself, or a lot of times my wife has to remind me, or I remind her, that who this person is. So it comes back to actually believing this is a treasure that could be shattered by something I do. And and that's a, that's one of the things that you, you constantly, I think, have to uh, sort of gird yourself against, because people are completely out of their human context right they really may only show up to you as like 45 characters inflammatory characters and you you may not know them well they may be a, a friend of a friend of course we have this misnomer of calling people on facebook friends that we're mm. digitally connected to stretches the metaphor a bit but um i think that context completely drops out or can and we just kind of we fill out the rest of the person. It's kind of, kind of like the dark side of a crush, right? If you have a crush on somebody, you take a few facts that you know and massage them into like a beautiful full person. And then as you get to know the full person more and more, sometimes you're like, eh. Brooke's <laughs> nodding her head. You, you, are you, are you a crusher too? I was a huge crusher uh, in my single days. Oh, you and I were uh, very similar ilk. Yeah. <laughs> so many, so many coffee shop, uh, women that were just working for for good tips and good service and i was like pretty sure we were going to have beautiful children together they would be a great mom oh man i'm Based. glad i had crutches pre-coffee shop where i would have been it would have been a lot oh rough. coffee shop <laughs> was trouble yeah coffee shop was trouble but it's like the dark side of that where it's like okay we know like one thing about this person and we fill out in our mind and respond as if we're responding to a whole person that's colored kind of negatively by whatever, whatever that evokes for us, you mm-hmm. know, it's really, and it's really hard. Like I, I love what you're saying because as a pastor trying to see the whole person when maybe only a part is on offer is really, really, really can be tough. And with this politically charged climate and, you know, in initial days of the pandemic, people weren't talking about divisive issues or just like, holy crap, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. But then those got turned up and it became a magnifier of conflict. And even within most of our families, extended families at least. I mean, I had one relative who's bought into every conspiracy theory. In fact, conspiracy theories that contradict each other. One is coronavirus isn't real, and the other is, but Bill Gates made it so the Illuminati could take over the world. I said, well, you you know, these are mutually exclusive. And it's been really hard. And for me, I've got to do a lot of extra work and realizing what is the story behind the story? Is this a person who accidentally just got shown proof or what seemed to be proof that they carefully weighed pro and con arguments and arrived at this worldview, or is it indicative of a different thing going on? And I did this actually with my, my son and my daughter because they engage a lot of our family too, and part of being a parent. And so I, I went and downloaded a bunch of abstracts of psychological journals and more popular articles too from like Psychology Today on why people believe conspiracy theories and what's going on in the part of like early childhood trauma or just people kind of being locked in this adolescent brain. Like sometimes spiritual maturity means never progressing beyond adolescence and everything's black and white. And just trying to build empathy that and some of our theologies really encourage that, right? Oh yeah. You gotta I mean there's like what whether it's eight or four stages of faith. I kind of made up my own version. They all have song titles. Are you, are you saying you're running afoul of Fowler? 
Yeah, uh, E. Fowler. But I, I like how uh, you know M. Scott Peck. You know, makes things sometimes uh, uh, absurd reductions many times. But I think he, he does it in the four. And I've kind of summarized it like uh, Jesus loves me. This I know is the first stage. Second one is uh, for the Bible tells me so, and. The third one is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the fourth one is, into your hands I commend my spirit. Mm. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. And so I kind of, I also had some Bruce, Bruce Springsteen songs. I have all these different versions of this, of using different songs. But So, Brooke, you're, you're trained as a spiritual director. So um, so both of you in ministry and very, very ways that touch individual lives. Uh, Jeff, pastor, we call all these things, we have different divisions for them, but they're really doing soul work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and everyone's called to some engagement yeah. in soul work. I mean, yeah. yeah. Like Martin Luther taught the priesthood of all believers. I believe in the potential pastorhood of, everyone. of all believers. Yes. <laughs> I'm wondering if you've seen any interfaces between sort of your training mm-hmm. and the way you sort of think of faith developing and how you is there any, any interface for you when you look out? Is there is some potential field for social media? You said, just for example, you said I don't tend to to come back and you know address controversial things or things like things like that. And I, I'm not saying that's bad or good, but like, how do you sort of see this? Because I'm really curious as a, someone trained in spiritual direction, what you what you think well, the opportunities are there? It's interesting because I'm nodding along a lot with what Jeff is saying. And I think something else is going on on social media is often people are really, really vulnerable, like, like almost too vulnerable. Oversharing. Over, thank you. That's a good term. Oversharing. Um, but in oversharing, then often it can be an opportunity to then connect, to reach out to them separately or, uh, you know, deeper conversation can happen from there. Um, that's happened a few times with me, which has been interesting. Um, and I also just, as Jeff was talking, I was thinking about uh, how in spiritual direction, they always talked about like following the tears and like paying attention for the shimmer. Like where's the shimmer of the Holy Spirit in this conversation, mm. in this person? And anything, anything can have that in it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I like what Jeff was talking, like someone is talking about politics or a conspiracy theory, but I believe that there's always something deeper going on. Because even me, when I talk about the news, when I stress talk uh, to my dad about Trump, there's a deeper thing going down on inside of me. I am afraid. I am, uh, I feel anxiety. I, you know, and if I'm feeling something deeper when I'm stress talking about the president, then that's probably everyone, right? Yes, I think I think that there's a lot there. I think it's also interesting. One of the things I've read that I think is absolutely true, I think the scale's a little bit younger, too, is that um, social media has actually um, gotten into, like, our philosophy of mind, like our brain loops. Uh, we don't feel like we've finished a thought or processed an emotion sometimes without posting about it. Like, it actually, you can't, get that catharsis of actually like getting a thought feels constipated and stuck and won't sort of just stop ricocheting until it has now become part of that thought loop. It has insinuated itself there. So I think you do catch people in some ways, like there's a lot of like curating and trying to put forward like, you know, my best life. But also I think you get 
people's raw viscera just sort of coming through as well. And it's like, people are like, don't you think before you put that out? It's like, no, this is actually part of how I think. So me processing this, like you just got catharted on, as one of my uh, professors used to say, I just catharted on you. Uh, And it's like, no, I wouldn't say that ordinarily, but this is actually how I process what I think. It's Wow. That's a lot because I think like I, I kind of repeat to myself and talk to uh, you know my family about this is internet it, online is not catharsis it's actually probably the worst place to do it and a lot of times catharsis doesn't work I mean you know if you keep repeating something that isn't true or a falsehood your brain's believing it for the moment you're actually saying it even if you think it's crap so if if you bind to cognitive behavioral therapy at all a lot of people's engagement online is actually strengthening the bad unhealthy place they're in. So I think of terms, is this redemptive more than is it cathartic? And I'm not, I don't want to judge what other people do. Um, but I actually think, like, if, if you watch people online, you learn so much about them. Online. Like, I know, uh, I know two people that generally probably every August they're going to start a manic episode that will last for three months. And I've seen that happen. I knew someone where to fall. Like I know someone that people that are on clinical substance, this person is, I'm not a, I'm not a, a therapist or I can't die. But just if you read the DSM five or something, it sounds like this person is suffering from this mental illness. And it, and literally I, I've built an expectation for uh, certain people. And it just plays out. I've noticed this since watching. I've watched one person from MySpace days, and I realized their their mental struggles, and they don't realize. I say people confess a lot more than they know. I just think that's true. Like you said, yeah. confess a lot more than they know. I'm like I've said that so many times, but it, it's really true. So mm-hmm. I have nothing more profound to say other than like, Amen. Like yeah, it's that's really right. True. And one thing though, I found is this has been unique. There's a unique thing going on online now. I've never had so many personal messages and letters and emails and phone calls, specifically from my friends outside of like our faith community. Mm-hmm. And I've really, it's really, the lines have become so blurred right now. The amount of people like um, who are going through like really hard stuff, like especially in the early days, I would pray with several people every day on a phone call who I've maybe been interacting with on uh, just friendship, common interests, common geography, music, and faith, because it all kind of ties in for me. But actually having people initiate talking about faith with me in wanting prayer. And the, the, the people who – I actually – one friend of mine who I talked to a lot of at my favorite coffee shop said, hey, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a secular person, but my, my mom is uh, really struggling with her faith because of how cruel Christians are. Uh, on Facebook that she's seen regarding the virus and stuff. And so I've had her start following you on Facebook, and would you be willing to talk to her? She's really – and I've had so many of those conversations, like people telling me, hey, um, will you talk to my family? I'm at this. And oh people I've prayed – literally, people I've prayed with for 20 years. We had a – we've been doing a lot of social distance hangouts in my backyard. In fact, this is a little tip for everyone. I hope I don't shoot myself because I haven't – 
in the leg because I haven't bought this yet, but I want to get those outside propane heaters that they use at bars. Oh, we, we're, we're saying they're going to be the I next big Google thing. Too. Oh, my Honestly, gosh. Because everybody's going to buy them. So I'm getting four of them. Quickly. Oh, we'll, we'll, quick. we'll, delay the, we'll delay the launch of this podcast until okay. we've had like four weeks. Yeah. To like, yeah. So I'm actually building my backyard into a venue of sorts. And I had, uh, you know, we live in the, the backyard of OSU campus. I had some, we had some friends over. And literally, I'm, I was interrogated about Jesus. For three hours, you know, a glass of wine, everyone's sitting around by people that I've been praying for for 20 years. And there's something really, and I was looking there one day. We've had actually our neighbors come and stay with us uh, on a little mini socially distant vacation and stuff like that. And the amount, and I was seeing the other day because I, I've kind of come to the solution, you know, I had kind of a real mental health struggle about a year ago. I just began coming out of like almost a year of severe clinical depression like really scary uh, level of depression while I was pastoring. That's another conversation. But uh, when I, uh, uh, I, I brought that up for a reason. Oh, when I was uh, coming back that, I was thinking like, what, who am I? Am I a pastor? What is my vocation? What is my calling? I try to hold those things loose. And I realized, you know, I don't know if I'm a lead pastor of a specific church for my whole life. It's definitely not my identity. It's what I occupy my time with now because I feel called to. But my vocation, I'm a pastor, whatever I do. If I'm flipping burgers or, you know, working in a factory, I'm going to pastor wherever I'm at. And I was in my backyard with my geographic neighbors and literally people, Adrian just playing guitar. She was playing some Bell and Sebastian songs in the backyard. Neighbor walks by, I said, that's really cool. I come in. And we've been making friends. And I said, I said, this is our church. This is the church. This is church right now. And I love the institutional church, but we're in this liminal state right now where I think the church is being invited to evolve, not because it, it into something different. You know, new wineskin is presenting itself through this scenario, and I think online is a big part of it, but online directly, what I've been able to do online is provide more opportunities to personally interact in my neighborhood. Hmm. I, In fact... Uh, People who would never darken the door of our church services have been engaging our online services. Literally, like I went online so my neighbor could watch our service. So I'm broadcasting over Facebook and have friends in Cambodia watching, and someone who I could look into their front window from my front porch. Hmm. It's just bizarre. This is really interesting, and this is something I've just started thinking about again a lot. Because I will own, and Brooke, I don't think you're a big commenter on Facebook or social media either, are you? But I go on routinely, and I'm, I'm, I've been thinking again. So many people go on and see things and don't comment. Like probably eighty percent of the people who view my post say nothing about it, but constantly see that, and you're forming an impression, and you're putting out church services and they can attend an anonymity and all of these things that uh, it's, it's kind of the positive side of like what we were taught, like in, in Sunday school, like God is watching you, you know, like be, you know, be good. But it's like, no, just the idea, like I am making impressions on people all the time and I'll never know, like, unless they come talk to me, which sometimes they do. Like Jeff, Jeff gets a lot of people that just come out of the woodwork and talk to him based on, what he does, sometimes it feels like you're screaming into the void because you get the same five cantankerous people who want to argue with you, 
but 80% of the people just sort of sit and watch and reflect mm-hmm. and it, it enters their soul somehow. It enters their psyche somehow. I never knew that until recently. It's trippy, isn't it? It's it's bizarre. Now, I think you talked about training your Facebook algorithm. Yeah. I actually, um, one thing I think specifically, uh, with I, I want to use Facebook to keep in touch with family and other things. And actually, reconnecting with family members that I had not had interactions with in 30 years after my mom died, a extended family on her side of the family, are doing church with us now that she prayed with maybe for 30 years or 20 years and I've uh, we're our family connection and this has been also part of a healing process for me is going back to some of the those family systems dynamics and so I've been reengaging relationships that haven't existed with relatives I may have seen when I was 4 years old mm. and learning a lot but the other thing is I block a lot of people said well I'm not your pastor not my. It's above my pay grade, or I'm not your pastor. And I specifically like. I have a, a pastor who would consider themselves very patriotic. You know, our tribe of churches we're in are not don't tend to be super patriots. You know, the grateful for the freedoms afforded, but I, I have yet to have been to like a vineyard church that has a flag up by the altar. Mm-hmm. Having said that, there's a couple exceptions. And there's a guy, one person kind of lurking and posting a lot, and I automatically hide them. I don't do this. It happened once I uh, uh, posted a really cool video about Grace from Nadia Boltz Weber. And this person, well, because she check marks a different opinion than they do on a couple non central theological issues, uh, automatically she's part of this Satan's plan to subvert the church or something. And I'm like, this person is explaining something I'm passionate about better than I can to my people. I want to hear this, and you're, you're, you're shitting in my wheaties, <laughs> you know. And I really, I was, but I said I'm not going to persuade you. I mean, you've talked to, yeah. you've talked to the smartest people on these issues, whether it's about engaging Muslims or loving your neighbor. You weren't persuaded by Rich Nathan or Bill Christensen. I'm not going to uh, mm. persuade you. I'm just going to say peace out. Yeah. I like that. It gives you a lot of freedom as you engage in that space. And, yeah. you know, you feed, feed what you want to grow, starve what you want to die. Mm. But so I've blocked, and I actually did this like a game almost, like how many people, not block, but how many people can I unfollow on Facebook a given day? Because I've got a couple thousand people, and I say, I want to try to find 10 people to unfollow today. Just so people come up to my feed that I really feel like there is a calling in the life. Mm-hmm. And what's happened now is people I've specifically been praying for for years are dear friends, like dear friends that encourage me. Like part of my survival as a follower of Jesus involves a lot of the community and friendships I have. And a lot of those people encourage me in, our fa- in my faith are people that don't know Jesus yet, mm-hmm. but God is cool that way. Yeah. And a lot of people that make me, that, provoke me to really struggle my faith would identify as Christians. Yep, yep. That's really interesting. We need to start walking towards the end of our chat, I believe. Um, but as a last question, Jeff, I'm just thinking to myself, uh, what last thoughts would you say to people of faith who want to engage more deeply with their friends in this space? How would you... Or what, what are some last thoughts that you would maybe share with them? Okay, I want to just pause for a second and really think, because I've got too many opinions. I think 
everyone needs to know, like, what do you have to offer? What is the most valuable thing you have to offer to this person? And specifically, how has God made you? What is, what, how has God equipped you to be most present to this person in their life? And it may be, he hasn't equipped me at all. Maybe this isn't a person God's put in your life. We have limited social capital. You know, I, uh, there may be someone I feel like I can engage in an issue, but I've got to know if, is this just an idea that I think I have something to offer, or is this something where I feel called by God? And I know that's really dicey material. So am I called? But what do I have, what do I have to offer? I realize I don't have winning a debate to offer. My, my personal wiring is I love noticing, like, what God is already doing in someone's life. And then I feel like my job as a pastor is to notice, highlight it, express gratitude. And maybe uh, generally the conversation just seems to organically lead to how that's, I see Jesus in you. Hmm. And uh, almost anyone I know, there's something of Jesus. So I feel I may have a great opinion on this or something, but what I really have to offer my, uh, the only game I know how to play is highlighting what Jesus is doing in your life and having that conversation. So I have to let the other stuff go because that's a false self almost. Yeah. Brooke, we did not coordinate. Uh, or I feel like as two people talking to Jeff, we each get a last question because you're like, I'm like, I'm like, mm, let me think about it. Okay. Is, you, you get two minutes. Will you allow it? So, <laughs> so only give what you're supposed to get. Be your, give your yeah. best. Don't, only play the game God's created you to play. That is just so beautiful and encouraging and something everybody can engage with. It's just amen, amen. Okay, your turn, David. Last question. So this is something I've been struggling with, and it came up in the last episode that Kate and I did about uh, social, social media. So I will say parenthetically that, actually, I learned this from Brooke and your family. Um, so... Jeff mentioned it. Brooke and I go to the best big church in the world. Yeah. And then the lobby of this church in non-corona times, like, is very hustle and bustle. Like, I would talk to Brooke's dad on occasion in the lobby after a service, and there's, like, literally a 1,000 or 1,500 people teaming around. And when you talk to Brooke, her mom or her dad, in a crowded situation, they have a gift of making you feel like you're the only person that exists. Yeah. It is amazing. I don't know how y'all do it, but... Because I learned it from Bill, and I was like, oh, Brooke does that, too. Brooke was away at the time when I discovered it, and she came back. Amen. And like, All the Christians do this. They make you feel like you're the only person. It's amazing. But when it comes to social media, and if you're on a group thread and you're having individual dialogue with one person in front of everybody else, how do you as a pastor maybe prophetically speak to one person? And I find myself, I'm drafting for the masses watching, even if it's addressed at one person. I have like the awareness that other people like it can taint my ability to really speak to the one person I'm speaking to instead of speaking for the approval of those who sort of take my side. How do you, how do you sort of toe that line? That may be a hard question. I think if I think most things that we notice on the internet are not for us to comment on. I think, I think it's almost like we should all have kind of a high bar for commenting. And I think what you write has more impact if you're not now. But the other thing that I think a lot of times I take conversations offline. Like I think if you really believe in human dignity, and especially if you know this person, I said that this person like is really like their binary thinking about politics and seeing uh, like, you know, 
maybe this person's of more liberal persuasion and conservatives are the enemy and want everyone to die of COVID or something. And they start posting that way. And what's most effective isn't to engage that post directly, but I, I've got this person on my mobile. I text them and say, hey, can we talk for a minute? And so I, I try to take anything like that, kind of like uh, if you see someone doing self-destructive behavior, generally the most honoring thing to do is uh, dignify them by talking to them in the whatever the warmest medium you can communicate through. Because I, one, one of my rules is anything you write online or in an email is how would a paranoid person read this? Because everyone's paranoid in digital communication. And so I, I take it offline a lot of times, uh, a lot of times that impacts it. But there was one thread that a loved one had posted, and it was so on fire. In fact, uh, there was other pastors posting on this, and there were some real hateful things coming from both ends. And I'm like, and this impacted at such a core level. And my daughter called me in tears about this, uh, seeing this. And I got on there, and I just, uh, people were literally calling each other's faith into question, and uh, stuff and oh, dear uh, Jesus. and uh, I uh, was basically kind of spoke of how I see Jesus in each person's argument. Said, "Guys, listen, we are on different pages here. This isn't the place to challenge our opinions. I think all of us could be more open minded and maybe get out of our echo chambers." But I kind of affirmed what good thing I saw in each person, and and one person in particular who's uh, was posting is someone I have so many kind of negative feelings towards so many things they do in their life. But I spent some time thinking of what I love about that person. I try to put oxygen to that little spark and just like, can we just ratchet this down? And I, I would hate to be the person that can summarize person in one sentence on the internet that I've never met. And so I specifically try to pour water hmm. on some there, but it's so rare that I would dive into something like that and post things. But then I had to dis- disengage from the thread. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a rare, rare time you should opine. Yeah, and I like it. I think a lot of these things, just like you don't break up with somebody over text, know your medium, know its strengths, and know that you're talking to a person. And I I just wanted to hear your thought on that because I've just been thinking about that more and more. I think so many people reply to one person, but they're actually replying to all the, all the like-minded people that are on their side of a, a debate or something. So... Really good stuff. Brooke, is that the actual last question? I think that's a really helpful rule of thumb, Jeff. And I find myself, as as we end this conversation, just my mind and my heart is like teeming with ideas. And I find myself like actually excited to engage in a, a different hut space myself on Facebook and really asking for the Holy Spirit to lead me and to highlight people and how I engage. So we'll we'll, we'll see. But... This has been so encouraging, Jeff. And I'm really I have grateful so to be much. invited. You know, I've been listening to your podcast, and I, I like to think of things that make me feel less lonely in life, because a lot of times I feel like an outlier, mm-hmm. specifically to Western cultural, predominantly white Christianity in America. I think a lot of times when we talk about evangelicals, we deplatform all the evangelicals of color because we let white people be the stereotype. Mm-hmm. But I get discouraged, and I feel less lonely when I listen to like podcasts like yours and realize there's so many people who really get the Jesus Loves Me thing. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge and, and your love. So much love is coming out of... Hopefully, all of you can hear it through the, through the microphone as My well. My basement is no longer a cold, dark place. No, Jeff Cannell has been here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, and uh, chat with you all next time. Love you guys. Right.
Maybe it's not a sequence, but 